Welcome to ed Education Conversations, where educators talk about the most important issues facing education. Our mission is to ignite your mission through the exploration of difficult and relevant topics. When we come together to talk, open ourselves to new ideas, we move closer together as a people. Good morning, everyone. Joseph Moylan here with uh, Dr. Corey Thompson again. Um, I'm going to let Dr. Thompson introduce all of our guests today, if you would, please. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure for me to introduce to you three uh, young men who are serving uh, the greater Milwaukee community as educators. Uh, we have with us today Mr. Will Holloway of Mesmer Schools, uh, serving in the capacity as a counselor, yes. uh, guidance counselor there. Correct. Uh, we also have with us today Mr. Walter Cullen Jr., Associate Principal at Mesmer Preparatory Academy. And we also have Mr. Ernie DiDemizio, who has uh, been an urban educator, both in Racine and in Milwaukee. So gentlemen, welcome today, and thank you for uh, spending your morning with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, so the nice thing, uh, the benefit for us today in having these gentlemen join us is that we get an opportunity to really dive into the notion of um, the intersection of, of racism in school and um, the importance of a conversation around that. Now, um, the three gentlemen who are with me today, I don't think would um, mind me sharing that they are all African-American school leaders. And so I'm really going to, uh, to ask them to lean on them as, as experts in the field of both education and understanding their lived experience with racism in the world. And we really wanna explore with you gentlemen today, um, you know, how it is that you really manage uh, the school environment in this way and and how you feel about education as it as it works with with um, racism so just let me start out by asking you guys uh do you believe as a school leader that the conversation about racism needs to happen at a school um and and why i don't know anybody wants to go first will go ahead so, yeah, I do believe as, as a school leader that the conversation about racism needs to happen. Um, racism has been a part of our history for a long period of time. And so kids need to kind of know about the history. We, we, do, we do history every day in schools. And so we want that history to be representative of the people that we're, we're serving, but also people who uh, come from different backgrounds. So we need to know about that lived experience as well. And so that conversation does need to happen. Um, we need to have as much information that we can about other people so we can be empathetic in the times where we need to be empathetic and in all other times we can you know set the appropriate boundaries and do the things that we need to do in in that place and so um i absolutely believe that the conversation needs to happen and that school leaders need to be at the forefront of it thanks um i also um agree um, that it needs to be discussed um simply because if we're teaching students they need to have the entire perspective as to where um, the social construct came from, what does it look like? Uh, we could talk about our lived experiences all the time, but we also need to give them the academia piece. And we need to be um, as intentional and honest about the scholarship um, in general. Um, a lot of times our students come in with this one jaded view of what's going on without actually looking at the entire picture. Um, and then that continues to perpetuate their own uh, disdain for other people and um, it's like, so, um, and as educators, we need to continue to push that um, for the sake of providing these children with all of the knowledge and the important and pertinent knowledge that they need to even succeed as people. 
Well, I think this stuff is well said. First, thanks for, for having me. I haven't been around this many doctors since I broke my wrist <laughs> in high school. So I hope uh, you, you let me jump in here is, is appropriate. But, you know, when I, I would just add in um, when we think about like patterns and assumptions and that's what racism is and that's what education is, uh, I think it not only makes it super important, but it validates it. And, and I think that uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about, the reason why we're talking about those things is because we haven't kept them in front of us. And so I think it's very important to keep it in front of us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, what they said. Yeah, <laughs> what they said. <laughs> I, I mean, certainly you can see, I know you've just met them um, uh, today, Dr. Moreland, but, you know, I've known them um, in different capacities and, you know, they walk their talk and, and I'm proud that, you know, that they are serving where they're at. And uh, I, I would concur with everything that they said. It's just that important. It's unfortunate that we're still having these conversations in many respects, right? But uh, it's also very important that we have the right people in front of those conversations and in front of children to help make a difference. Do you guys think that it's um, equally as important for the conversation to happen um, in, in a, a school that's predominantly African-American students as it is in a school that's predominantly uh, Hispanic students as it is predominantly white students. I mean, is the discussion of racism as relevant in all of those venues? I, I absolutely think so. I think this goes back to something that, uh, you know, Walter Cullen just said um, in regards to let's give everybody the opportunity to know what the history is and make their own opinions and, and things based on giving them the resources. When you send, if I'm a football coach, I don't send my football team out with half the information. I need them to know what's going on. And so when they go out there and take the field, I need them to be fully prepared. No matter what your what your um, what you identify as in terms of your uh, culture, I also need to provide you with those resources. I need to give you the history. I need to let you know. So if, if, if it's all black school, like Mr. Cummins said, we have we have misconceptions too. We have things that we we don't understand fully either because we haven't looked at the history. We haven't looked at what what came before us, and if we're not looking at those things that come before us, we're destined to to redo those things over and over and over again. And so, it doesn't really matter what your color is. You just need to have the the, the appropriate amount of information for you to be able to make those decisions when you when you go out and you're into you know working with people with different backgrounds or you're living by people with different backgrounds or they're in an area and you've never seen them in your area before, how do you respond to that? What do you do? And so without that information, you go off the information that you've been given. If that information is wrong or partial, then you're bound to make the mistake again and again and again. I also had an opportunity to read this, The Comma Effect by Doug Glanville, a former professional athlete. I don't know if anybody had the opportunity to read it, but, but I also think it's important because, you know, what kids are not understanding and sometimes adults aren't, aren't adults aren't understanding unless you've experienced it is like our comma could be Ernie DiDemizio comma administrator, Ernie DiDemizio comma son. But for all of our students and all of us, uh, it also is comma black. And so you have to know what that means and how to operate in certain systems. And I think rules are colorblind, but people are not. And so the conversation uh, of racism is, is very important to uh, teaching those behaviors that we need to be functional in society. And I completely agree with both gentlemen. Um, and, you know, we're always trying to create students that are, you know, culturally whole. Um, but a lot of times that hasn't been the case because we try to eradicate certain pieces mm -hmm. for whatever motive or agenda we have going on, unfortunately. 
Um, but it's essential that students do learn a little bit about each culture because they have to eventually, they're going to have to interact with those individuals on some form or fashion, whether it be a place of contention, whether it be a place of someone being an ally. Um, but we also, um, and Will can attest to this, in the school, we always try to talk to our students, but let them know there's another side that you may have to con confront, but it may be a, uh, it may be a good experience, it may be a bad experience. How are you going to deal with that? What do you know about them to understand where they're coming from when they say that? Do they actually mean that to be, you know, derogatory to you, to you in, in the way they responded? You know, think about our parents. I could never say what to my mom. In other cultures, sometimes you can answer your mom with what? my mom would do something that she wouldn't like to, you yeah. know, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, these are the things that we learn culturally, and it's very important for all of our students to know how these different cultures and, and races and ethnic groups handle um, and, and how they um, are, you know, um, brought up. Walter, you, you said um, a term that's resonated with me. You said culturally whole. We want kids to be culturally whole. You know, Dr. Marlin and I are in the business of preparing future school leaders. And in addition to that, I also work with preparing teachers, right? And so what would you say to us? What advice would you have to us as we uh, have the responsibility of having these programs? Uh, what, what, what would you say to us in terms of preparing culturally whole educational leaders? Like, what is it that we should be doing or having our 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 principal or administrator candidates involved in or immersed in. And, and before you answer, maybe I can just toss on top of that off of something else that you said, um, because I think it's interesting. You you said, Walter, um, you brought up a bunch of experiential things. And so, you know, when we talk about education, one of the things we can do is we can we can do this kind of stuff. We can do some book book learning. But I'm wondering, too, like what kinds of experiences should we be offering to leaders so that they're prepared to be you know, culturally whole. And Joe, you hit it on the head. We need to provide the new perspective leaders and teachers as well with some experiential um, kinds of um, scenarios. Um, I believe you used to do something with PMAC or something like that, yes. um, where you actually get those teachers out there. We need to get those um, leaders out there because I think a lot of times the academic piece is great. That's the foundation. So we know where to anchor a lot of the things that we need to do systematically. Uh, but once we get around these students, once we get around these individuals, the staff members, we understand that they come from all these different backgrounds. Their their personality is different. Their characteristics are different. Um, they may even have some undertones in what they believe in the children that they serve. How do you interact with that? How do you respond to these individuals? So we need to kind of figure out another way to immerse them into that. And I think one thing with the um, what you did with PMAG was you actually had these um, educators go into the neighborhoods, correct? We, did. we yes. need to have them more immersed in the different neighborhoods. I mean, even if it's taking myself and Will out to a different, you know, demographic of students and staff, we may need to see it. I can hear about it from my staff because some of them actually live in Wind Lake. Some actually live further out. And it's like, I, you hear those stories like, man, like we were just discussing on the way in. Like, I don't know how I would respond to a um, an adult that might have said that. How would I feel? How would if a student is actually more financially stable than I am and they feel pompous about it and they want to bloviate about that and kind of like talk condescending to me, how do I react to that? I need that experiential type of scenario to actually provide me with the tools to be like equipped. I need that experience to sit back and reflect and be like, 
Okay, these are the next steps. This is what I need. And I think a lot of our leaders kind of need to do that. I, w- I would agree. I think, you know, getting out into the neighborhoods and the communities and seeing what's going on in those communities. I think what we what we do a lot of times, too, is we, we take we want to take those leaders, those those people to the best of the best. We want to show we want to showcase the best of what's going on. So we take them to you know places where we're going to be able to display that. What we don't always do is show, OK, let's look at this neighborhood as compared to a neighborhood with these resources in it. What do you see that's missing in this neighborhood? What do you see that's not here? How do the adults look in this and behave in this neighborhood? What do you why do you think that that happens? So what's missing is because in this neighborhood, there are resources there and it's bustling. It looks like it's a busy place. It looks like, it, it you know, it, it's surviving. It's, it's doing the thing that it needs to not only survive, but it's, it's excelling. It's thriving here. It looks doesn't look that way. Why not? What's missing in this particular area? OK, when you start to see that those are things, there are resources missing in these areas. These are the areas where your children are come, may be coming from. These may be the areas where some of your educators are coming from, so they have a different experience. And so when they can relate to what, what a kid is going to through and you cannot. I need to talk to that educator to find out how they made that connection. I don't know how they made that connection because I've never seen that before. I never had to experience that before. I never walked in those shoes before, but apparently they have because they clicked in right away and that kid got it. And so how do we get people to, to see that that is a valuable asset? that I have this lived experience and I can click in with a kid as to where you were getting ready to hammer that kid. I didn't have to. I said a, a few key things to that kid and that kid turned it around or that kid knew exactly, okay, I, I messed up. And so um, when you get to see those different those differences every day, it's almost like night and day in, in regards to it. Walter said something again, and we all keep saying Walter said something because this guy, got, <laughs> he has it on the ball. That's why I connect with Walter. Um, you, you see you see those types of experiences happening every day and you see where even in leadership, you know, some leaders don't value what that what just happened. They don't even know what just happened. And you when you go and you tell them, no, that that's not what you saw is not exactly what happened. Let me try to bring it around for you so you understand why that person made the decision to do that with that particular student. It's like a light bulb sometimes goes off but it's flickering because you always have to go back to, well, what does the policy say? What does academia say? What did, we can't necessarily do it that way because this will happen. And I don't know about you guys, but there are a lot of things that I find in education that people say you cannot do that with proper relationship and nurturance of what you're doing, you can do. Yeah, and you just made an interesting point. You said it, that, that this understanding is an asset. But then you kind of set it up like it's a necessity. Like if you don't understand what's going on with somebody, uh-huh. you know, from their cultural perspective and, you know, substitute culture for, um, you know, experience the way my life is operated, however you want to say it. But if you don't understand what somebody means when they say the same words that you're saying, how do you, okay. You, you, you know, Dr. Martin, I think we may have, found ourselves some uh, future instructors or some future oh, guest, yeah, guest speakers. And, you know, I'm listening to Mr. Holloway speak and I'm thinking, you know, you're talking about having these future leaders do a gap analysis. You know, that's that's really, and I want to maybe segue over to an experience I had with you, Mr. D, maybe it's over a year ago where, you know, you were part of a leadership team in the city and, and, and your people were out handing out water on the corner 
and that was a good thing to do. But I know, knowing you and the relationship that we have, like that was just tip of the iceberg, right? I think some people might have said, oh, I did my good deed, check. We yeah. handed out water in the city, check. But then they go back into the classroom and the mistakes that are being made culturally are impacting our children. And, and so I see a lot of intersection here. I don't know if you want to elaborate yeah. on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I have this written down like sustainability is the key. And, 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 and I love what you guys uh, were saying, what you're alluding to. I also want to be clear. I think like there's this pause that we have to have. I don't know you all personally, but we grew up together. And so like, I always see the conversation about racism come to urban ed, right? Mm -hmm. And and I don't want it to be that. I'm a black man. I didn't, I went to one urban school. Uh, and so when I think about racism uh, versus racism, as opposed to racism versus urban education, because I think that adds a whole nother piece. And, and, and there, uh, to Corey's point of what our organization uh, was intending to do was get in front of of some of the things that were happening in in cities when with people being killed etc 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 but when it came down to it the moment of truth was like do we do we really should we really get out here and do this or does it look bad if white people are doing this does it look bad and 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 you know and and i say black because that that's what resonates with me people of color or african-american mm -hmm. I, I just i'm black and mm -hmm. And I said, as a black person, I feel like we are obligated to do something. And that um, made people uncomfortable. Um, and so we got out there and did something. It was a little uh, a little bit after the main situation, the, the Floyd situation okay. that happened. It was it was a little bit after. But, um, you know, if you give me a present a week after my birthday or seven weeks, I'm still taking that joker. So uh, I was excited that we did that. And then in Corey came out and supported. We got our chest pumped up and we're proud to be black. And then 32 seconds later, we did, you know, I gave you your present. Hold on until next birthday. You know, and, and that that part is the part that I think that um, um, educators and, and and specifically leaders, the, the two points of, of just urban racism versus racism, I think you got to keep in front of educators. I also think like the sustainability piece of just like we look at a gap analysis and just like we look at later goals and just like we look at curriculum planning, I think we are, um, we would do ourselves a favor to keep diversity training, uh, inclusion training, cultural responsiveness training, keep that in front of us almost like a, a professional development plan as well would be my, would be my take on what I've seen and what's been my frustration. Um, and, and I've been around long enough where black history was like, you better pack it all in here because uh, otherwise, you know, we're in back February. to, yeah, in February, <laughs> you better pack it all in here mm -hmm. and don't pack too much because we got forward testing coming up players. So yeah. you better be ready. Uh, you can only pack in a, a, a diverse, you know, lunch of barbecue chicken and watermelon and we we back doing a thing. And, and I'm only half joking because one of yeah, our people, uh, one of our people with the best intentions of food <laughs> services did that. Yeah, and. Yeah. And the chicken was so good, we didn't make a stink about it. But, <laughs> but it was, but it was like, are you joking me? But I really believe that, like, how do we make this? We are at a point where it needs to be a daily conversation. We keep apologizing for that, and I, I don't think, you know, it's. A, I would often tell my students, they'd miss gym for something, and they'd be, you know, bent out of shape. I said, but you didn't come to me when you missed math, right? You didn't, you, you didn't care that we missed math class, and I, and I feel like this is where the diversity conversation is we we're not mad if we miss a diversity conversation but we're mad when the outcome of missing that affects all our lives and so i think we got to keep that in front of us Thank well you. there's an interesting you know um, 
I, I appreciate the dichotomy you're drawing between yeah. the topic of racism versus urban, you know, setting. And one of the things that I'm sensitive to when we talk about um, things, when people are writing their dissertations, you know, we say, don't use the word urban unless mm -hmm. you unless mm -hmm. it's pertinent to what the, the location of what you're talking about yeah. is, because otherwise it takes on a whole bunch of other meanings that maybe mm -hmm. you didn't intend mm -hmm. or maybe you did intend That's them, good. then say them, you know, um, but. I also think, and, and Corey and I've talked about this before, that um, you know, racism isn't a black problem, a black a black people problem. It's a white people problem. Fixing it is a white people yeah, problem. Yeah, but but, but racism you know, is but, a black but, problem. But oftentimes, when we get to these these diversity and inclusion discussions, you know, often it's been heaped on somebody who's been oppressed their whole life to be the guy that's in the job that has to fix a bunch of people's thinking, who can't possibly even like get into the conversation. And so, you know, now we have this topic of CRT that gets grabbed, you know, out of where I have no idea because it was buried for forever, right? right. Gloria Latson Billings has been retired for years and out comes CRT. One of the things that I um, wonder is how do we, how do we talk to parents in white communities that are afraid that their kids are going to learn about CRT and mm -hmm. we've established that's not what they're going to learn about. They're going to learn about maybe systematic or systematicity with regard to racism, but not CRT. How, how do you talk to people about why that's important? And remember that always to get people to come on board, kind of like you guys this morning, we're getting all of us a benefit from participating in this. What's the benefit to white communities and you know white parents as they consider this? Because I think that's where the cash register doesn't ring. Tough question. I, I would say this. I, I don't know if I have an answer to that question, but I am a I am a person who um, is grateful for like the way that Black Lives Matter shook the you know shook the house. I am grateful for the way that CRT is shaking the house. I mean, it, it's been around forever. It didn't stick when when we started in '62, and it just becomes another thing like Paisley ties are back, right? And now you can proudly bring them out. We don't have to hide if you got a Paisley tie. No. Oh, you strike me as a Paisley tie guy right there, but, <laughs> but you don't, you ain't got to hide, you ain't got to hide behind that. And I think like that's, that's, if we're, if we're getting caught up on CRT as a thing, then, you know, like pulling out some of those things, because Corey and I were talking about some of the parts of, of um, CRT that are effective, like dual consciousness, not only um, it, do I have to be a duly conscious of being American and black, but I have to be triple conscious because I'm a biracial man. And so I have to be aware. And so I think like those are things if, if we're going to help people with assumptions. And so when you say, what, what's the benefit of it is if, if, if we can't get it from your side, then I'll own it and say, what, well, understand me, <laughs> you know, understand why I operate like this since we're going to be in the same society. I think those are one of the benefits, but I also think we have to stop apologizing uh, for some of these things that people take and run with them. Cause they're still, if you're saying it's over the top, you have a point, but it's still the truth. You know, we need to be talking about this, uh, whether we call it CRT, whether we call it racism, what we call it just understanding black folks. Uh, and, and But I think we have to stop apologizing for that would be my take. And I think that would be one of the things that would be helpful. People stop looking at this as a we always tag anything, but that's what we do in education. We got more acronyms than, you know, we do real words. So. But you but you you started out talking about uh, the BLM movement mm -hmm. and you know, that shaking things up, but in amongst, you know, a whole bunch of black people were white people. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. And somehow that, that resonated. And, you know, it's the, 
I, I have a student who really wants to study racism from the standpoint of countering it and rebranding re, uh, it perhaps as, you know, us trying to find the things that are in common instead of always putting the emphasis on things that are different. Yeah. But in that moment when George Floyd dies, maybe the whole world sees that like, this could be us. This is us under that knee. Yeah. And if we have an oppressive system that, that could turn on us at any moment too. Maybe it was a right moment for that connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I also would say this, we've talked about this as, as, as mature black men, and it's, it's always phenomenal to be around young black men. Our regiment had to be growing up. We needed to be seen as quality black men and not heard as quality black men. And so I'm very appreciative to these movements that have happened now because you are seeing the ability to speak on it and you are able to add people of value who can speak on things and not sound hood or urban. And I think you have to have a little bit of both. But I think we we heard from so many people, even as black men, uh, as a black man who I, it didn't resonate with me. Now, I know how to talk, you know, hood as much as anybody else. It's not where I and most comfortable and it's not what I know as a as a reflex as a muscle reflex and I think one of the things Corey and I have talked about Dr. Thompson I've talked about as we've gotten older and been through the whole circle is it's our time to use our voice and I think that that is the way that is what we have to address with with people who see it differently with us we have to continue to do these things I'm very appreciative to be here today and and, and respecting the fact that you're leading this charge I think that's what has to happen. The one has to chase down 10, the 10 has to chase down 100, so forth and so on, uh, irrespective to whatever we think the outcome is going to be. Clearly, we 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 haven't made a whole lot. Uh, we, we've made some, but we have so much more to go, right? But we can't use that as our, as our mantra, say, well, we're never going to get there. Well, maybe, but we have to keep going. And so I think that conversation of it's a healthy conversation. You can have a safe conversation. I remember a, a safe space in that conversation. I won't dominate the time, but I think one of the things that was very um, helpful to a all black school dealing with mostly white educators was just your circle of influence and your biases and bringing up those simple things. One of those things that you said my mom has been saying as a as a peace education educator is when I tell a story, I say, oh, man, I met this black kid. Hold on. What is black? Does black have something to do with the story? Well, I mean, just let me tell, does it have to do with the story? No. Okay, well, then leave it out because it's just a kid, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, the powerful, uh, one of those aha moments we had everybody boo-hooing in the room is how ridiculous we all are with our biases. I'm not going to lie to you. If I come around the corner on 3rd and North, you know, I'm kind of peeking before I come turning the corner because I have some biases about what I think is happening uh, with Black people down in that neighborhood. So we all have them. And I think the conversation of racism might be, moved forward more exponentially by just dealing with our biases. Well, everything Mr. D said is right on point. And when we're talking about these, the Caucasian parents and things like that, um, one benefit in terms of what they need to do or what I would suggest is just embrace that dissonance mm -hmm. and embrace that discord, um, not being able to understand it. Like actually, let's, 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 let's face this head on mm -hmm. and have like, sorry to be cliche, but those tough conversations, yeah. because a lot of times what we see in our diversity inclusion trainings and PDs on all this culturally responsive stuff, it's very packaged. It's not as raw as it kind of actually needs. It's really tempered to be like, I don't want you to feel bad. Like, <laughs> you know, you want to take a sting out. We actually, <laughs> yeah. like you said, let's not be apologetic about it. Let's actually, let's all get stung real quick. 
it's going to sting for a minute, but as we get through, we can end up soothing each other through that entire Michael process. Michael Soundberg and the skyrockets. There you go. into the pain, right? Lean into the pain. And grow from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And like Billy said, him, uh, Dr. Thompson and you are more seasoned than we are. I'm not going to call you old. He always tells me he's like 30. <laughs> so, so, don't so, <laughs> so for, for us, um, and it's funny because I've known Will since I was a teenager. Um, he's a little older than me as well. But you were on here calling everybody old, dude. Yeah, you were gonna call nobody old, but now you call everybody old. <laughs> but, but like you said, you said it was more so about being seen versus yeah. her. And that now the if there's an added pressure, mm-hmm. um, I feel like for us in terms of we're in these positions, kind of mm-hmm. like you guys mm-hmm. were and we were in these positions, and it's like, yeah, I want to be in this position, I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I also want to be able to release my full identity like there's an added pressure to like yeah. let me not say that in this boardroom let me not say this because they might take it differently it may even jeopardize my job yeah. but then it's like am i being complicit in these systems that i'm actually you know um in the process of so a lot of times that's what's going on and i just want the you know the parents to actually embrace it all thanks gentlemen we're going to continue this conversation but uh for this for this segment uh, this is the end really appreciate your time being here You've been listening to Education Conversations with Corey Thompson and Joseph Moylan. Please leave us a comment in the questions, any questions you have, or thoughts about the future episodes for us on Anchor. Thank you for listening.